Well, this morning we do start our, uh, our Christmas series and uh, we've been working through First Thessalonians the last couple of months, but we turn now toward Christmas and, um, and I'd encourage you uh, to have your Bibles ready as we will turn to Genesis 15 in a moment. Uh, but we will, we've entitled uh, this series that we do in the lead up to Christmas and on, on Christmas Day itself, Christmas Starts to Finish. And one of the reasons for that is uh, we, we're going to take a journey uh, through five, four or five different uh, significant plot points of the biblical storyline uh, that lead us towards the birth of Christ. And the plan is to show that over the, over the, in these moments, these moments in the biblical storyline, that they actually point us to Jesus, point us to the birth of of Christ. And I hope that we're able to see the Christmas story not just as, a, you know, the birth of a little boy in a rundown house, in a rundown town, in the middle of nowhere in the first century, but the Christmas story is something that's actually been planned for, it's been prepared for, it's been prophesied about. It's, it's, it even it impacts us hundreds of years after the event itself. Now, I am sure you are familiar with making plans and then having to change those plans due to circumstances. Circa 2020, 2021, last couple of years. Uh, But I'm not really talking about the change of plans that are out of our our control. That's all sort of out of our control, isn't it? Uh, But I'm thinking about those plans that we make for the day And then really we just don't get around to doing them because we, well, we just don't end up wanting to do them. Uh, They're in our control, but we don't end up fulfilling our plans. You might be list people, like Catherine expressed and told us last week. She is a list person and has a list there and wants to strike off everything on that list to have a sense of fulfilment and satisfaction in completing the plans that she had organised. But we may be that as well and we may have our list. We may get to the end of the day and have completed really none of them because we couldn't have been bothered to do that. Or maybe you're you're a New Year's resolution kind of person. And on January 3, you realise you are already behind on your exercise regime. You're still eating leftovers from Christmas and the Bible reading plan, well, the Bible hasn't been picked up yet. But you know these kinds of plans we have and are really in our control to do, but we don't end up doing them. We're not really faithful to sticking to our plans. Well, this morning, as we begin this Christmas series, we turn to Genesis 15. And Genesis 15 looks at how God is faithful to his plans, to his promises that he makes. Unlike us and our our to-do lists, God fulfills each one of his plans and promises. Not only is he faithful to them, but he is faithful to them on his own life. On his own existence, he is faithful to them. He will do what he says. So turn with me to Genesis 15 and let me read you the whole chapter and we'll see where we go from there. Genesis 15 verse 1. 
After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to this man, uh, came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram bought all of these things, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation... They serve as slaves and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set, the darkness had fallen. A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On the day the Lord made a, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants I will give you this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates the land of the Kenites Kenizzites Kadmonites Hittites Perizzites Rephites Amorites Canaanites Girgashites and Jebusites This is the word of the Lord What on earth does Genesis 15 have to do with the birth of Jesus? Let's have a little look after we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to your word. We thank you that it speaks of you. We thank you for this covenant, these covenant promises of Abram, uh, to Abram, that uh, have impacted our world. Lord, help us to understand uh, your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you can see, Genesis 15 is probably not your typical Christmas passage. It's not a typical chapter where we, uh, we talk about Advent. But here we are, I think, at the beginning of God's plan for Christmas. God's plan for redeeming the whole world. The beginning of God's unfolding plan to, to, to make a people for himself. To make a nation for himself. Here in Genesis 15. Here we see or there is a, a light shone uh, upon, uh, upon God's plans and how God's plans are not human plans. Uh, 
Yet they, I think first, they enable our righteousness and second, they also secure our future. And I hope uh, you will see that. In your reading of this passage, uh, as I just read that that through, you may see that there are two distinct sections, verses 1 to 6 and verses 7 to 21. And in section 1, verses 1 to 6, I think we find that God's faithfulness to his plans enable our righteousness. If we had read from Genesis 12 through to our passage this morning, then we will have heard of the way or or heard about how God has been with Abram in his life. He has called him out of his hometown. He has led him toward the promised land. He has been with him in various battles and situations. Immediately prior to this passage, Genesis 15, Abram has conquered four kings, rescued his nephew and knocked back the riches and the possessions of the king of Sodom. And so the Lord has been with him. He has sustained him and he has looked after every need. But as you can tell in our reading, Abram is still troubled. He is still troubled. The Lord has been his shield, been his reward, greater than all the riches that he has. But Abram is concerned and he is concerned that he has no son. There is no one to call his heir to continue his family line. And so for a third time, having previously promised to Abram uh, that that he will have an heir in in chapter 12, verse 2, and chapter 13, verse 16, Abram again raises this issue with the Lord. It's one of those cases where where Abram just does not see what is going on. Like he just does not understand. You know, one of those times where things are, Things are confusing. How is this going to play out? What is going to happen? There's a sense of confusion, a lack of understanding. More understanding would be helpful for Abram and so he asks the Lord. So Abram realises he's not getting any younger and his wife is also in old age. But Abram wants to know how this is going to occur. He wants assurance He wants assurance of this promise, this plan that the Lord keeps talking about. And I think the Lord is quite humorous and uh, I think he he responds to Abram in a humorous way. He takes him out, uh, outside. He says, "Look look at all what I've created. Look at the heavens. Look at these stars that I have created. And count these stars. Go on, Abram, count these stars if you can count them, you know, like. A bit humorously, he says, if indeed you can count them. Well, that is is how many offspring, how many descendants you will have. Well, only a couple of weeks ago, uh, my grandfather uh, passed away and in in the obituary, it it mentioned his five children, his 15 grandchildren and his 12 great-grandchildren. Now, they are easy numbers to add up. I hope you can all do that. I think it was 32. I did further maths in school. Uh, But they are easy numbers to count uh, at this point in time in three generations. But there may be a time where further further, uh, children come about and the, the, the line may extend 
further and further. And so a few more generations down the track, it might begin to be a bit difficult to count who is in the genealogical tree of our family. This cousin and this cousin and this uncle and this auntie and this son and this grandfather and this great-great-great-great-grandchildren. And think of your own family, even, even going back a few generations, you know, eight, ten generations, begins to probably become a little bit difficult to count how many are in your family tree, that widespread genealogy. Well, here, uh, here Abram is promised and given assurance that not only will he have an heir, but they will be so numerous that no one will be able to count them. They will be so, there's so many, so many millions of descendants that you just can't, cannot work it out. You cannot count it. God's chuckling away. You want an heir? I'll give you an heir. In fact, I'll give you these millions of heirs, uh, millions of descendants. And so the Lord wants to press home to Abram that, that he will fulfil his promise and his plan that he has uh, told him. And this is what happens. This is what happens because we see from here there is a line directly to Christmas. There is a line directly to the birth of Christ. For God's people are his offspring, Abram's offspring. And the people of Israel in the Old Testament are from the line of Abram or Abraham as he becomes known. And in Matthew 1 and and Luke chapter 3, uh, well, they outline for us the genealogical line uh, that continues and leads to Jesus. God's plan for Jesus, for his birth, for his life, his ministry can be traced back to the promise here to Abram. God's plan and promises to Abram is fulfilled not only in the short term whereby he does actually have a a physical heir and the family line continues, but in the long term it leads and points to Jesus Christ, the birth of Christ. And so what does Abram do? He hears this, God reiterates his promise uh, for a third time now. Well, Abram believes. He believes. He trusts God in faith, by faith, and, and believes in what he says that he will accomplish, that promise that he has made. In verse 6, which is a key verse for the entire chapter, uh, and which reads which reads, Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. Here we see that because of Abram's faith, God's plan, uh, faith in God's plan and, and promise here that he is counted as righteous. So to be counted as righteous is to be considered morally good, uh, without, without guilt or without sin. And because of Abram's response, God has credited to Abraham righteousness and considers him to be one without guilt. All his sin, past, present, future, is forgiven and gone and by faith, Abram is saved. By faith, Abram is credited as or considered righteous. I'm sure you're well aware of cellophane. You know, when you, when you look through red cellophane, everything becomes red. When you look through green cellophane, everything looks green. When you look through blue cellophane, everything looks blue. Yeah, we know what we're talking about. 
Well, when God looks at people who believe in Jesus, everything is Jesus. He sees them in the holiness of his son. He doesn't see our sin. Jesus took our sin on himself and he gives us his holiness, his righteousness. When we believe in Christ as our saviour, God looks at us through him, through the Lord Jesus. He sees us in all his white holiness uh, of his son and our sins are assigned to him and we are considered righteous. In, in, in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 to 9, Paul writes directly to this. He says, So Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Notice how Paul, the writer of these words, notice how he recognises that this here in Genesis 15, that this is the beginning of the gospel. This the, the faith that Abraham has is the beginning of the good news of God. For in, the, in the gospel, we find ourselves made righteous in God's sight. Through faith in the power of Christ's death and resurrection, we find ourselves righteous before God. If I was to sit at the table with you on Christmas Day at, at Christmas lunch, let's say, and offer you $50 for your dirty napkin post the, uh, post the lunch, I imagine you would take the, the chance to, to exchange that, to do that. Yeah? You'd jump at it probably. Yeah? Your dirty napkin for John, 50 bucks for me. Yeah. That's what I end up with and you end up with something of value and of worth. This is an example of the way in which God makes us righteous. Christ has taken our sin upon himself so that we can look upon God and God can look upon us and we are considered righteous. He declares us righteous. And this is a great, the great exchange. That we have exchanged our horrible sin for Christ's sinlessness, that we have exchanged our unrighteousness for Christ's glorious righteousness. The question is, do we believe? Will you believe? Do you believe? Like Abram, do you believe that God has credited to you with Christ's righteousness? Romans 4 verses 3 to 5 reminds us, For what does the scripture say? Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is credited not as a gift but as something owed. But to the one who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, that is Christ, 
His faith is credited for righteousness. What glorious news. Christmas may be a few weeks away now and this passage was obviously written a long time before the birth of Christ, that Christmas event. But here we find God's faithfulness to his people is already being established. God's faithfulness enables us to be made righteous in his sight. A plan, a promise that calls us to believe. Well, in the the second section of this morning's passage, we see in verses 7 to 21, God's faithfulness to his plan secures our future. I wonder whether you've ever been in a situation where you have muffed your words, where you have given some really odd response to someone's question. Yep, we all do that, don't we? You know, I reckon one of the most common is, you know, someone says, oh, how are you? And you sort of say, thank you, you too. You know, just off the... (laughs) Jen continues to remind me that uh, I am good at mixing metaphors. And one of the great ones that I do is I often say, don't punch a gift horse in the mouth. (laughs) And I believe the right one is don't look a gift horse in the mouth. I reckon I can still get away with that, but... But here in verses 7 to 21, the Lord again declares who he is, what he's done, what he's going to do for Abraham, tells him what he's done in saying, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I will give you this land to take possession of it, in verse 7. And, And while that's very encouraging for Abraham, he again wants assurance. He says, how will I know that I will gain possession of it? Abraham just wants to know. He's like kids who see the pile of presents building up under the Christmas tree and the anticipation grows as the presents grow and in the lead up to Christmas the excitement builds. They just want to know what is under that wrapping. They go and scratch it, go and shake it. They just want to know what is under that. Well, Abram just wants to know how this promise that God is making will happen. How will it unfold? This promise of an heir. Well, God seems to be giving, or seems to give a very odd response, doesn't he? Abram is directed to cut in half a number of animals, then place them opposite each other. There's that little editorial about how he shooed the, the, the birds away. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> and then Abram falls into a deep sleep and has a dream. It's a bit, a bit of an odd response. But in that dream, the Lord tells Abram what's going to happen. The beginning of Abram's descendants, the, the exile into Egypt, slavery in, into Egypt for 400 years. Abram will pass away before going into the promised land. And all this unfolds as we read further into Genesis and beyond. But God, again, seeks to give assurance to Abraham or Abram. That his promise of an heir and of its descendants, it will come. It will come true. When you're a kid, you often do the pinky promise in the playground. If you're in a relationship, you might put a ring on it and promise, make promises at a wedding ceremony. 
If you're uh, dealing with a bank, you might end up, end up or end into a legal agreement uh, by signing up for a mortgage or a loan. And all these indicate that you are going to fulfil the promise that you make uh, in those instances. Well, here in, in Genesis 15, we find what I imagine you to understand as well is an odd response because the Lord here, in the figure of a, an oven and a fiery torch, walks through these slaughtered animals that Abram has set up. How odd. Yet steeped in significance. You see, in the Old Testament and the ancient Near East, when one tribe defeated another, as an act of loyalty to the king, uh, the, the tribe that had been conquered would walk through these slaughtered animals. And this would indicate to the conquered uh, people that as long as you are obedient to the king, as long as you are loyal and obedient to them, then you will be protected. You will be under their, their protection and will be looked after by them. However, if you rebel against the king and, against, uh, and, and be disobedient to them, then be it done to them as which has been done to these animals. If the conquered tribe rebel then they will also be killed. And in this instance with Abram, the Lord, by making his way through these uh, slaughtered animals, signifies to Abram that he will fulfil his oath, that he will be loyal to his promise and to his plan. That he will be, uh, he's essentially saying that he will fulfil his promises and if he doesn't, then on his life be it, so to speak. That if he does not fulfil what he has decreed, this plan, the covenant that he has made, then he will destroy himself. That he will cut himself off from the promise and from, and from his people. Quite amazing significance when we understand it in that, in that sense. In Jeremiah 34:18, if you want to flick to it, feel free. There's an example of this where God, uh, God's people had not fulfilled the covenant that they had made uh, with the Lord and the, the Lord had, had freed some slaves and as they were to do, but then they, these people had, had taken, God's people had taken them back again. And so they'd gone against the covenant that they had made with the Lord. And so in Jeremiah 34, 18, we read, The men who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. But here in Genesis, it is not the people that are walking through, nor is it Abram that is walking through these pieces. It was God. The Lord himself walked between them. He promised Abram in the strongest possible terms, be it unto me, be it unto me, as if it is to these animals, if I do not fulfil the promise that I have made to you. The Lord has promised on his own life that he will do what he says. A truly remarkable action to God's faith and, and, and reflective of God's faithfulness to his plans and promises. When you go abseiling, you want to know that the rope is secure, don't you? 
when you hitch your caravan to the back of a car, you want to know that it is secure. When you install security software on your computer, you want to know it is secure. When you make financial transactions between your account and someone else's, you want to make sure and know that it is secure. When you put your trust in God, you want to know that he will be faithful to his promises, that he will be faithful to the plans and the promises, the covenant that he makes. And here we see and find such assurance. Abram was given assurance in the promises of God through the action of God. We too are are given assurance of the plans and the promises of God, again, through the action of God. You see, in Genesis 15, as God walks through these animals... He promises that he will fulfil what he has said, that he will do what he says he will do. And at Christmas we remember the birth of Jesus, where God becomes one of us, where God comes down to the earth and lives the human experience that we live. And at the end of his earthly life, he gives us assurance that he will continue to fulfil his promises and his plans, not by walking through dead animals, but by himself going to the cross. Going to the cross to take the death penalty for our sin. And so it is through the cross of Christ, through Christ on the cross, that we are made righteous, but we are also given this assurance. This is God's promise to us. For through the cross we are made righteous and we have a place secured in God's family. John chapter 10 verses 28 to 29 wrote in his gospel one of the great couple of verses regarding assurance. He says, I, uh, I give them, well, he's, he's quoting Jesus here, I give them eternal life And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. We are are God's people who have a secure future that cannot be taken away from us. We are God's people able to trust in his plans and his promises because he is faithful. I pray that you believe that this morning. I urge you to believe on on that this morning. May you know that you are made righteous. May you know that you can be assured of God's faithfulness in your life. His faithfulness to to his plans and his promises. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, your faithfulness to your promises, you making us righteous through your Son Jesus, and you holding us secure in your hand. Lord, we thank you for who you are and glorify you because of it. 
May we trust in your promises to us as revealed in Genesis 15 and also that points to your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.